Something, something, fillery, a most amazing land. But fucked by catastrophe, and way before we planned. La la blah blah, fillery, a land without a god. Needs a brand new hero, a strapping lad named Todd. Uh, what's going on, everybody? My name is Arjun Gupta. I play Penny on Sci Fi's and the Magicians. And welcome to the Coffee Clatch Podcast. Get ready for a wild ride. The Coffee Clatch? Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, The Magicians, episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring magic back into our lives with episode 7, Acting Dean. Written by L. Lipson and directed by Sterling Harjo. IMDb is giving this a 7.9. The critics say Penny brings up a good point in this week's episode. He and his friends just saved our world. Are they really on the hook for saving Fillory as well? As the problems on Earth continue, the magicians struggle to pivot to the conflict in Fillory. The idea that the Dark King, a woefully underdeveloped character, is responsible for creating the very enemy he's lauded for vanquishing was seen weeks ago by everyone except Elliot. So I agree with Den of Geek on the point that I think they're having some difficulty transitioning to the impending apocalypse in Fillory. There's still issues on Earth here that we're concerned about, and it's hard to really feel the gravity of moving over there. I disagree with, they went on to say, Fillory is less interesting, and it's always harder to get us hooked on that. Mm -hmm. I'm always more interested to go back into our magical land. I just think the transition, the shifting is proving kind of difficult because moving the moon was a big deal. It was a big deal, I thought we'd have the opportunity at this point to focus more on Fillory, but now they just stirred up a whole nother issue. But I do have to say I was wrong last episode, so I apologize to you, Chris. Yay! I had told you that they moved the moon back after the moment Well, you said that was your assumption, just because why are they not making a big deal of it? And I swear I heard them say during their planning phases that that's what they were going to do. I think they said they were going to ask her, and that appears to be the problem, that the moon is not cooperating. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's moving everywhere. And it's whenever she moves. So perhaps when they were first casting the magic last episode, their spells were stable, much like Alice thought she was finding a workaround here until her lunacy started shifting again. Yeah. (laughs) The thing is, we already went through this whole plot of trying to contact her, asking her to do something different, spell casting. I don't know that we need to keep dragging that point out. I do get that they feel they need to continue to split the time evenly so that we're interested in the characters that remain here on Earth. And the easiest way to do that is to have an ongoing problem. There were characters, including Daniela Marcus, that we didn't go back to. We had wondered, isn't her whole deal about circumstances? That's able to work because circumstances are still a problem. It's fluctuating. Oh, yeah. I mean, circumstances is the only problem right now because of the moon moving. So what they're going to have to do, I guess, is this is when the sisters will come back into play. And I wouldn't have as much of a problem with that if I was more hooked on the Fillory plotline. As Den of Geek is describing, this wasn't a reveal to find out the Dark King is the one creating the takers, manifesting the problem so that he can be seen to be dealing with it. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there is going to be more to him that will be interesting, but that's not what was shown here in this turning point of an episode The king is bad. Look at what he's done. There's also seemingly still a lot to bring in related to the fairies. Is Irene McAllister coming back? 
plum in her relation to the Chatwins. So there's a lot of loose ends to tie up. I'm not doubtful that they will because Magicians has done it in the past. It's just they very often save that until the second to last or last episode. And I think it's too overwhelming to try to wait until the very end to have everything make sense. So I guess I wish they would be starting to fold certain things up and transition to Fillory instead of continuing to open more and more boxes. I mean, a lot of boxes were opened. We were going on a ride and we were like, oh my goodness, okay, we have a whole new issue going on. But once I landed at what was going on, it's not that I didn't like it. It was actually pretty fun. But when we transitioned back to Fillory... I was having a hard time now focusing on that. Mm -hmm. There's just a ton of ideas. It reminds me of you cooking a soup. (laughs) There is a limit to the amount of herbs and spices that are good before it just becomes overwhelming. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) And I think they're just throwing a ton of herbs in there and you almost get lost. You can't pull out or identify one distinctive thing that you want to follow. I mean, when they introduced the whole etheric realm very recently that Dean Fogg got trapped in, I was a little lost on what is this new thing? Why are we following it? But I'm willing to go with it. Instead of bringing that around here, they put that on the back burner and pull in something else. There's a Dean Fogg from Timeline 17. Did we need that? And I'm not saying it's it's not fun. Rick Worthy is an awesome actor. It's yeah. great to watch it. Once I accepted it, it was nice. But but when it was happening, I was like, wait, what? But thank God it was, in the end, a different Dean Fogg. Because initially, when he walks into his office to talk to Penny, I'm like, oh, man, that was easy. So he's out of the ethereal realm. I thought we'd have a challenge there, and that would be fun. So I'm glad that he's still in the ethereal realm, even though we may never see him again. It may be just like Penny 40. But there was enough issues to deal with. With magic and all of the bads we have, again, just another thing put in there that I'm not sure why we had to do that. But we're going to talk about that more when we get to the synopsis. First, let's go over new faces, places, and magic. There were only a few. We met Hamish Bax, who in the TV version is an applicant for the botany position at Breakbills. He is also a character from the books. That's going to be our closer look, so stay tuned later in the podcast where we'll talk more about him from the magician's land. We had, of course, Psycho Fog, (laughs) a troubled version of the Dean from Timeline 17, and maybe my favorite, Hylipus Gertrude, the new advisor of the talking animals in Fillory, who Rafe really does not like. (laughs) This is not her slowness. For magic, this isn't new, but we had the reintroduction of Cinnabar. That's the magical substance that was used to power time magic items, including the time-traveling machine from Stoppard. This is an element in real life, actually. It's a bright scarlet to brick red form of mercury sulfide. It's the most common source of ore for refining elemental mercury, which is why Stoppard's mother was getting all these ill effects from working too much with Cinnabar. Mm. It's a direct equivalent to mercury poisoning. And lastly, I don't have a proper name for it, but whatever the circumstance calculator is that Alice finds in the greenhouse, that container box the plant is in, yes, that automatically adjusts itself for the proper circumstances needed. That's something we had not seen previously. Moving into our plot, we're going to be discussing two locations. What's happening at Breakbills and what's happening in Fillory. But of course, we open up with the rhyme that Todd is relaying to us from Sir Effingham about Fillory being in trouble. Did this tune sound familiar to you, Jason? Absolutely. It's something you know you heard when you were a kid. It was driving me insane until I finally remembered 
We're going to Kentucky. We're going to the fair. Sing it for me. I'm not going to sing this rhyme. We'll find a clip of it. We're going to Kentucky. We're going to the fair to see the senoritas with flowers in their hair. Oh, shake it, shake it, shake it. Shake it all you can. Shake it like a milkshake and do the best you can. Oh, rumba to the bottom and rumba to the top and turn around and turn around until it's time to stop. So it was a child song, right? And you would go through the lyrics, and then every time you cycled through, it would be faster and faster. You would speed up. And I don't know if this was everyone, but we would go around in a circle, holding hands faster and faster, Mm -hmm. until they told you to stop, and it was almost like the freeze game. So a good use of musical recall. Most people will right away hear the melody and have a memory in their head, and then they mix it with hilarious Toddisms. And of course, Fillory would have the equivalent of a nursery rhyme, (laughs) as the objective of a major quest. He asks Julia for her help, and she says she's taking over the whole thing. But upon telling Margot and Elliot, they say that's what they were trying to do before she pulled them into this moon mission, and they leave for Fillory. They're a little frustrated with her, and they don't stick around to talk this out. They're going to go back to resolving their Dark King problem. But we're going to stay with what's happening on Earth right now. At Breakbills, after missing the faculty meeting, Penny finds out circumstances are still messed up because of the moon. Lipson was trying to reset the campus wards when Fogg's security system turned on her and left her in a coma. And since nobody wants the horrible job, they've elected Penny as new acting dean. Here we see him dealing with all sorts of magical mishaps from the students trying to manage issues. Everybody's so mean to Penny. (laughs) Alice thinks that because of the circumstance changes, they'll need to learn to cast all over again. Plus, there are still surges to deal with. Penny finds a box in Fogg's desk marked for emergencies only, and Julia presses the button. This shit messes me up. What the hell, Julia? Fine. Did it work? This is a small example of her impulsiveness lately. (laughs) She just wants to be part of a mission, part of a quest to do something good with her magic. It's an argument her and Penny are going to have later. Is she really considering this? And is this what they should be doing? Or is she still kind of caught up with the grief over Quentin and she feels like she needs to have a purpose to do something better with her magic? I found this scene being another one of Penny's funny moments. This season, he seems to be given a little more latitude towards funny. Mm Mm-hmm. I wish they would go even further with it. He was always funny, though. I'm not saying he wasn't funny before. Remember the uh, in the woods? He's like, where my, my feeler, toucher feeler thing is? <laughs> I can't remember the name. <laughs> After pressing the button, it first seems nothing happens, but then Fogg shows up, saying he had no choice but to leave to prevent more students being hurt by his system. It's a clever wordplay. We're assuming he means leave the etheric realm, no more hurt to the students here at break bills with what's going on with the security system. But he never actually says any of that. Yeah. He had to leave timeline 17 where he blew up all of break bills. Now we don't know that here. So Alice tells him about the temporary solution she found to cast as though you're a thousand feet lower. That seems to be working. Fog goes off with Todd to shut down the security system. And with things seemingly under control, Julia is now planning to leave for Fillory. Penny is surprised and upset that she's not going to stay and help with the issues here. He says he wants them to be together and not every apocalypse is their problem. Yeah, this is something that Penny 23 has been struggling with the entire season. When do we get to relax? Why is it always up to us? And I kind of feel him on that. 
And there's always going to be another issue. If we say that, we're going to keep doing it forever. Plus, like I mentioned last time, it was almost the going in search of a quest that led them to this moon issue that wasn't the real problem. Now, as Julia said, it would have still had consequences. Were we just going to let that happen? But sometimes does interfering create a problem where it doesn't need to be? Well, we're really not sure because our group just always jumps in head first. Either way, she's disagreeing. She's readying to leave when the school's emergency protocols are activated. Todd arrives with the news that when Fogg tried to shut down the system, it set off all the defenses at once. And he's acting a little bit strange. (laughs) Meanwhile, Alice meets Hamish Bax. She realizes the magic is no longer working because the circumstances keep changing, and they're trying to figure out a way to warn Fogg. Hamish thinks he can take down the wards. It looks like it's working, but he gets injured in the process. And since they can't trust magic to fix it, they go to the greenhouse for healing herbs. There, Alice starts to make a poultice when Hamish sees a flower inside a magic container. Your late exobotany professor was working on a sort of terrarium for magical plants. They don't need just water or light. They require specific circumstances to survive. That's to make the circumstances match to any growing conditions. That's something we're going to talk about that is pulled a bit from the books. Two things about the greenhouse. One, it really reminded me of Harry Potter, so Mm. I did like that. And there's something about greenhouses that always felt magical to me since I was a kid, especially when it's filled with color like this one. This one was a little too orderly, though. I was looking for more of the Harry Potter (laughs) vines growing up the walls. It feels more chaotic, but also more magical. It kind of looked like a flower shop with everything in neat, (laughs) neat, nice rows. Secondly, I really enjoyed the play on words they had here. This flower shouldn't even be living on Earth because of the circumstances. Well, that's true with real life flowers and trees. You know, we don't have palm trees here because of the quote unquote circumstances of our environment here. It's too cold. So I love how it works both ways, circumstances in magic and also circumstances in real life. What are greenhouses? That's a way of us creating an environment that changes circumstances in real life. Back to Penny and Julia. As Todd is trying to leave with the cinnabar for fog, they confront him and realize when he's blown up by a landmine (laughs) that he was an imposter Todd from another timeline. They play this for laughs, but it's not as though he were a golem or a figment. This is a real version of Todd, just from a different timeline. That was pretty gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen gruesome like this before. Remember with the cat? Yeah, but this is a person. (laughs) I mean, he's acting a little squirrely, so they say, but I don't know if he's totally psycho fog level. No, I think he's still Todd, but he's a desperate Todd who's following a psycho fog. Well, that's what I mean. It's a little sad that... It is sad. Boom, that's the end. (laughs) But um, our version of Todd comes in. He says he knows all the versions of fog better than anyone from helping him with his memoir... So they start describing this fog, and he realizes it's the psycho one from Timeline 17. I call that one psycho fog. See, in Timeline 17, brake bills kind of blew up, killed almost everybody, and those burns on Fog's hands are kind of because he's the one who did it. Well, what would he be doing here? Psycho fog? Let's not wait to find out, okay? Let's go. They hurry over to the greenhouse in order to expose him and fill Alice in on what's happening. Fogg admits he wants the Cinnabar to fix Stoppard's time-traveling machine. He made modifications so he can take all of Breakbills back to his timeline. 
There, he took measures to try to contain the damage the beast could do. That's why he got rid of the school. And when that failed, Jane Chapman got to go to the next time loop, while I had to stay behind and live with the goddamn consequences. Your timeline continued even though Jane reset it? Yes, dear. Well, you dropped in your head in this timeline. You should be well familiar with the multiverse hypothesis. As it turns out, one of the goddamn consequences is I discovered I have a grown daughter currently living in my post-apocalyptic shitshow of a timeline with hardly any living magicians and no resources. I need the Springfields and everyone in it to fix where I came from. Fucking father of the year! However, when he tries to activate the machine, it fails, and Penny reveals they swapped the Cinnabar for cinnamon. I like how Penny and Alice were able to outsmart Dean Fogg. I thought that was very clever. Mm -hmm. And quick thinking, if you think about it. Yeah, playing off that he's not really from this timeline, Penny Mm -hmm. 23. Yeah, if they just gave it to him, he might suspect something. So they, you know, it was a a good game of cat and mouse. Mm -hmm. Well, not sure what else to do. They put this fog in a clean room where he can't cast for now. And thanks to the readouts on the greenhouse tank, Alice has a theory on the magic problem. She says the lunatics were right. The moon has feelings and she's mad at them. But she's going to continue to try to work at a solution. Penny tries once more to talk to Julia, saying he doesn't want to lose her to a quest again, but she says she needs to do this. Well, now let's shift gears and talk about what's happening in Fillory. At Whitespire, Elliot and Margot are looking for Fenn. They consult Rafe, who has a new boss, Gertrude, who is apparently a nightmare and a traitor to her own kind. (laughs) Nothing but a puppet of Big Pickwick. She was offered a deal to relocate all talking animals to beyond the walls. It turns out Bick has a deep hatred for anything non-human, including fairies. Well, our Pickwick turned out had a hatred for humans. Tick. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very similar. Apple didn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, except he has a non-human idea almost. They call it a species cleansing. We're going to see more about that in a minute. Ray finishes this up by saying Fen was venturing into the Windward Woods. So Elliot and Margot split up. Elliot's joined by Charlton again as they go to a meeting with Bick and the King. The Takers are gathering in force, and they need their army for protection. But their gold reserves are depleted, and the men haven't been paid in weeks. Bick says they need five pounds of gold by tomorrow and another 15 by the end of the week. The fairies have been stealing and hoarding their gold, so he argues for storming the forest to take it back. But Elliot says he knows the fairies. They aren't thieves, and he requests a chance at diplomacy. He's given 24 hours to try negotiations. So this episode is a closer look at to what's happening with our Dark King. And this time, instead of Margot being the one figuring out a little more and moving the chess pieces, we have Elliot, who's the one, and he's using his charm with the Dark King to do so. And it's starting to unfold. Yeah, we also get to see Margot go and try to have a discussion with the fairies. It turns out Fen found them and gained their trust. But when they fill Margot in on how the story has shifted over the generations, she eventually abandons the attempts to make them see reason. I don't blame her. After all that she's done to hear these polar opposite stories about her and the disdain that these fairies have, not knowing the truth and not willing to hear the truth or bend a little bit, I would have to leave too. They're here to try to help them yet again. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're doing what the Dark King is doing to them. She has gone from the king who made peace to the one that tried to steal the fairy realm. And as she says, no matter how many times she tries to 
discuss this calmly and rationally, these fairies just aren't hearing it. I mean, they're making her wash their feet. <laughs> and this has never been Margot's strong suit. You know, Fen's trying to help her stay collected. She's in the process of losing it when they're interrupted by a bunny with a warning that Bick is coming. They're able to help the fairies escape before their arrival, and Margot slips in with the centurion guard. I was here the whole time. Very slick. Bick then conveniently finds the gold <laughs> that he planted, but relents to returning it right away, Elliot's suggestion, and says they'll come back later to find the fairies. So bringing the six pounds of gold back to Whitespire, Margot and Elliot spy on Bick in one of those pools, and they see him slip into a back room where he's been secretly keeping gold-shitting <laughs> beetles. They're back. Apparently, everyone thought they'd been extinct for hundreds of years, thanks to a rumor started by the Pickwicks. Well, that figures, right? <laughs> Elliot brings news of the Beatles and Bick's treachery to the Dark King, and he is taken away. It seems like the King has taken action. He's going to arrest him. So after these scenes, two things come to mind. At that moment, I was like, oh, wait, okay, maybe the Dark King is a good guy. <laughs> for some reason, and I think a lot of our Clatchers are feeling the same way, we're just like Elliot, at least parts of us. We want him to be good. He's charming. He seems smart. But the analytical part of our brains are saying, well, come on. He's not just the Dark King because no one else was left. He pretty much committed genocide to get this role. But then the next question that comes to mind is, so where's the real gold going if it's not being stolen? Well, going back to your first point, I think that we want to believe he's good for Elliot's sake. Elliot's been through so much, he's lost so much, and he clearly has a connection with this man. We don't want to see him have to go through all of that and be hurt again. But even Elliot sees it on some level. I mean, privately, he tells Charlton he likes the king, he hopes he's not bad, or maybe it's that he knows he's bad and that's all he deserves. So what do you think about Bick? Do you think he just wants to keep his king happy and all of these excursions to find the gold, he never found gold? So he found another way to be able to present gold after every journey so that he's still on the good side of the king and can help the king fight the good fight, quote unquote. I'm sure that's what's happening, but not because he has this supreme respect or allegiance for the king or believes in his mission. I mean, we've seen before the Pickwicks are just crafty and treacherous on a lot of levels. They're going to do whatever they need to do through hmm. secrecy, manipulation, to make sure that they maintain this position of power behind whoever the acting ruler is. Uh, Bick is certainly worse than Tick was, but <laughs> I think just we should have known, right? I don't mean to be prejudiced, but these Pickwicks are bad news. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be our new t-shirt we'll be giving know, away. These Pickwicks <laughs> are bad news. It seems like Tick's come over to our side, which is great. It feels like we can trust him now. And it seems like we have earned back some of the trust of the fairies because back in the forest, they thank Margot and Elliot for helping them and in repayment, show them the truth. They watch as the Dark King dumps a bag of gold on the ground, melts it into the soil, and casts a spell that creates, what else? New takers. So we were right. Yeah, I didn't anticipate that they would need gold. Yeah, that we don't know. I mean, there's still many questions, but we were concerned that the Dark King was actually creating these or had control of these monsters. Now, our hypothesis was, and I guess still is because we don't know any better yet, 
he's utilizing them to be able to show power. That's why he has those pond TVs <laughs> and say, like, I'm the king. Look at what I can do. I can defeat these takers. But we still don't know the main goal. Like, why is he doing this cycle? Yeah, that's an endless loop of we need these beetles to create gold so the gold can be used to make takers. We make this big show of taking it from the fairies because the fairies are bad. Why are we creating these enemies that the king needs to fight on a repetitive loop? I had surmised if we give him a little bit of credit or anticipate some good in him, perhaps he knows more about the impending apocalypse or things to come. He thinks that can help in that regard and thus he has to maintain the position of king. People need to believe he's good so he stays in power. But we still don't know any more on that front. And I don't know. It's not looking Mm -hmm. spectacular now. No, I still keep leaning back on the fact that these takers some in some way help him remain young. I mean, we still don't know how he's lived 300 years strapping young man. Well, that wouldn't be the takers. It'd be the fairies. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I mean, we don't know what they're doing with them, the ones that they arrest and bring in. Are they killing them and using their magic? And is that it, though? Does he just want to remain immortal? I mean, we talk very often that villains on a show are much more interesting when they're complex. The library, well, Everett wasn't so great. He was just a greedy man who Hmm. was power hungry, but... Zelda was a lot more layered because she thought she was doing the right thing. Yeah, so and she had reasons and there was a greater good. At this point, the king is very interesting because we don't know why he's doing this. But I think they need to have a story like that. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just going to fall flat. Oh, yeah. So we want to know, you know, why that part of the woods? Well, I said, Did do you think... Did he invent them? What's the deal? Do you think this has anything to do with... I don't know if this is part of the land that the fairies were initially settled on when they moved out of their realm to here. If so, they did a lot of work to make that soil, that ground fertile, yeah. where fairies could continue to thrive. The That's queen how born. needed those mushrooms and everything. So does something about that soil continue to offer abilities magically to generate things? Is that why he's able to... I mean, we see that... This looks intentional. He's melting the gold into the ground and then casting the spell. Hmm. Are they dead fairies, the takers? Like zombie fairies? It didn't look like it. I don't think so. I was just proposing that the ground might be fertile to create magical beings due to what they enact upon the soil. Hmm. Curious. But we'll discuss that a little further once we get to our spoiler section for next week. Well, a couple of questions that leaves me with, Jason. Do you think this is the end of the Penny-Julia relationship? I'm not sure. I don't think the show put too much value into the relationship to begin with. They seem to really like each other in the beginning of this season. But obviously right now it doesn't... It looks like their thoughts, their frame of minds are the polar opposites. And I was wondering, this Julia, even if the relationship was going good... Did she have like a voice in her head saying, does he love me or does he love the Julia he originally fell in love with and is just looking for that Julia in me? How could she not? I think that's why she was hesitant about Penny to begin with. He was always more invested in wanting to make it work this time. And I think she just wanted to see, well, how is this going to go? What is this Penny like? She's got bigger things on her mind that she's coping with. I never really saw that working out as much as I think they are good for each other in a lot of ways. 
it was just a much slower buildup. And the fact that it was playing out so long made me think, oh, maybe they will wind up together. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this conversation, this seems too extreme. I don't know how they could reconcile on those issues. I also was thinking, why keep this version of Fogg? Now, I don't necessarily know what else they would do with him, except put him in a clean room, but that feels like something that would come back up later, especially if our Fogg returns from the etheric realm. That's what makes me wonder if we'll never see that Fogg again, just like Penny 40. Could you trade him off? Send 17 to the etheric realm? I mean, maybe that'd be good for him. Yeah, but the god there wouldn't like this Dean Fogg. No, probably not. He's got too much to fight for. He'd be thinking about his child the whole time. Unless he lets go of that, he's been through a lot of suffering. We saw how Fogg was when he got there. Man, I've been through enough in my life. This is great. But he doesn't have a child out in the real world that he he wouldn't think about. But Penny did say, let's keep this Fogg. If any other issues come up, we can ask him at least. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to be helpful on that at all, do you? No. Well, also, we didn't see Katie or Zelda this episode. In addition to Plum, as we mentioned, I'm sure that's got to come back around soon. Well, that's going to take us to our ratings for the episode. On a scale of 1 to 10 surges, what do you give Acting Dean? Well, like we said at the top, we weren't expecting a whole nother storyline to unfold or a whole nother issue to happen. But with that being said, I did enjoy what ensued. The little twist that this isn't our Dean Fogg. Having Todd on the screen is always funny. (laughs) He's great. And we got to see more Penny. I really liked the more Penny thing, the maintaining him in that position at break bills. That's probably going to be ongoing. I wasn't as wild about the fog from timeline 17. The continued stuff with the moon that Alice's plot line felt a little less smooth. And I've been really excited about how she's played in all season long. This, this wasn't my favorite for her. I also thought the shifts to Fillory were a bit rough, but I love seeing Margot and Elliot back together, Hmm. fighting for Fillory, uncovering the truth on what's happening there. I think I'm going to enjoy the second half of the season for that reason a lot more. Fillory is truly theirs out of all of the group. So my grade for this episode is 7.7. But instead of surges, I'm going to say poops of gold. You know, I'm going to have to agree with you. I liked this more than last episode, which I gave a 7.5. Still can't go as high as my episode three, though, so I'm going to go with you at a 7.7 surges. Well, now that you know what we felt, let's hear from the Clatchers. Every week via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we ask our Clatchers, who is your MVM, and what are your thoughts? This week, we gave you Alice, Penny, Elliot, and Julia. Coming in at fourth place with 4.7% is Julia. Understandably, she was a little annoying, to be honest with you, this episode. Well, that whole, like, just... Okay, I guess you're just going to push the button then. I mean, you have to agree with Penny. I understand why she feels this way, as we mentioned, the grief she's still dealing with. But I think she needs to take a step back and assess things or she's at risk of possibly creating more problems, as we see with the moon thing. I mean, how many times have we said this in the past? Can they all just sit down and have a conversation together (laughs) and decide what they're going to do? And I guess that's what they were doing at that table. Well, not really. (laughs) Not going so well. Coming in third place, and a close third, with 23.4% is Alice. She continues to use her high level of magical skill to really try to find solutions to the problems they're dealing with. And math skills, too. She's very laser-focused on that. I enjoy. She just keeps at it, even when the circumstances change. Like, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah, she is the group's 
Hermione. Yes, definitely. And in second place with 26.6% is Penny. Like we said before, he had some funny moments. He and Julia outsmarted Dean Fogg. And he was, you know, acting Dean, trying his best. I love it. And I guess he still is acting Dean. Yeah. I mean, Lipson's in a coma. This is not good. But coming in first place with 45.3% is Elliot. Elliot for the win again. Fourth time this season on our polls. I mean, he split once with Margot, once with Alice, but now two in a row on his own. I mean, I think in large part, this probably comes from the fact that he's starting to take those blinders down a bit. Mm. Even though I like the Dark King or I want to like him, I do get there's more going on. He could be bad for the sake of our group, Fillory, everything. I need to be realistic and I need to start working to try to uncover the truth, something Margot has been trying to do. So as you mentioned, he takes a much more active role. Pretending to be nice and be on the Dark King side. Let me help you. I know the fairies. Let me give this a shot at diplomacy. What could that hurt? And they do get down to a lot more of the truth than they knew before. Brian says, is Elliot Elliot or is Elliot Todd Elliot? <laughs> oh, of course it's Elliot. We definitely have Todd up there as Todd. But he also says he loves how Alice was solving the magic problem with math. Melly says, Elliot got my vote for his smooth democracy and negotiation tactics with the Dark King. Sherry Ava says, it's sad to see Penny and Julia separate. As you mentioned, there's a struggle for balance between quests and living life. It's clear they still care for each other, and I'm hoping they reunite. Also, Penny needs his GPS. <laughs> Penny needs everything back, for goodness sake. On the upside for this episode, it was fun to see Alice working with Professor Hamish, a character from The Magician's Land. Well, we're getting there in one second, but thank you, Sherry. She says Fen was responsible for some worthy sleuthing and diplomacy in this week. She was a viable choice for MVM. Go Team Fen, the outside inside maid and human crazy too. Be Nice says another tough call. It seems all the actors keep raising the bar for MVM. Gave the nod to Elliot with runner-up slot to Penny. Elliot had his maid on the outside and an actual voice in my head to help him figure out the intentions of the Dark King. We noticed this with all of our shows. In the beginning of seasons, it's hard to come up with MVMs because there's no prevailing character at that point. But as the season goes along, it gets harder and harder to choose an MVM hmm. because there's so many acceptable winners. Especially with this show where you really have a bunch of different characters and plot lines going on right until the end and then they usually team up. Yeah. Sarah says, I voted Alice for solving the problem with crazy moon magic with a little help from nice plant guy, but I really wanted to vote <laughs> Fen, though maybe she's not a magician. Excelling is made on the outside and gaining the trust of the fairies, which led to the big reveal in the end. Yeah, I guess technically she's not. I mean, that wouldn't stop us from putting her on the pole. And it seems she's definitely going to get honorary this week. Oh, yeah. We should point out they don't have to be a magician. It was just a nice play on words. <laughs> and there's another t-shirt design for us. Nice plant guy. I like that. I love that. <laughs> Margarita says, I wanted to vote Todd because hardly anyone ever does. <laughs> and closing it out, Kelly says, why can't I vote for them all this week? This is the first week I just can't choose. They worked well together. It was difficult. Both Elliot and Margot had some really great moments. I wasn't as big on the Alice storyline, but I do continue to really enjoy her character. I'm going to have to give it to Penny, though. I feel really bad for him. It's just like <laughs> nothing is working out well, and he just keeps trying his hardest. Everything seems so helpless with break bills right now. 
But I am fascinated with him in this role in the school, and I want to see more. This is my chance to vote for Penny. And you know he's my favorite character, so I too am going to vote for Penny. Let's not forget he's the one that found the button. That didn't do anything anyways, but... (laughs) And I can't but help still wanting to go back to Penny 40, yet as time goes on, I am more and more connected to Penny 23. Mm. I remember when he first came up, the entire time just going, this isn't my Penny, though. (laughs) I very rarely ever feel that way anymore. I like how they're mixing some of that stuff in from the books and giving it to him, and I can't wait to see where they go next. You know, they should take the button into the greenhouse and press the button there. See what happens. Oh, now you sound like Julia. Let's just try it. Let's just press the button. But you know what I mean? Because maybe the button didn't work because of different circumstances. It could be. Or also maybe because Dean Fogg is in that realm. Or it's dangerous. I mean, I don't know. In addition to that, we do have some other Clatcher's comments. We had quite a few people write in in response to our conversation about Harriet last week. So we definitely have to make that correction. Todd says, are you under the impression Harriet is still trapped in the mirror world? Or just wondering what became of her once she left? Yes, we were under that impression. Somehow we missed this giant thing. So thank you, Todd. He says, Alice rescued Harriet from the mirror world last season in episode nine, The Serpent. She did this in exchange for a map of the junction boxes from Zelda. The spell backfired at first, creating two Alices, but eventually they worked together and managed to free Harriet. This is also where Alice found the binder. Now, I remembered that whole storyline, and I remember her going in there for the binder, but I just didn't recall her saving Harriet. I remember Harriet being pulled out. I think it's just it fell through the cracks. We forgot. We definitely talked about it last season. Just forgot. I, I really can't recall because I remember ever since then thinking... Where the hell is she? Is she still trapped in there? (laughs) Are they going to go back to this? And maybe that's on purpose that it was put on the back burner until they come around to the Zelda plot line, which it seems like they're going to now. Because that's really how it ties back in here, right? As it relates to Zelda. Mm -hmm. But thank you very much to Todd and everybody else that reminded us about that. We also got a couple ideas about Sir Effingham. So I'll take the one from Percy's owner, which says, It suddenly hit me that although Sir Effingham was a sexist pig, he might be right that a male is needed for the quest. Not for finding things or performing magic, but perhaps a biological reason. There are a few biological differences between men and women that could come into play here. As to why Todd is the one chosen as the hero, he's one of the few available purely human males that recur in the story. Josh is a werewolf. Elliot was 300 years in the future when Effingham first appeared. Penny is a traveler and part magical creature. The Dean is in the ethereal realm. So if the quest had a real need for something male-human, then Todd is the only continuing character that fits. I could be wrong, but it would be an interesting twist that he wasn't just talking about gender or sexist remarks, but about something biological that requires a male. Hmm. I mean, that would be cool to have a deeper level of that. We know there are certain rules that Fillory has to abide by. We've commented on that in the past, that Ember and Ember put this process in place, that it had to be a human magician mm-hmm. as ruler of Fillory. There could be other weird things in the bylines that we're not aware of. I don't know if they're going to go that deep with it or not, or if he was just a very misguided, sexist pig. <laughs> So thank you, Clatchers, who wrote to us via contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com and to the Clatchers who tweeted at us. If you want to join in on the conversation with your voice, you can always call us at ckc.6606. 
That's 252-368-6606. Thank you guys so much for following us through this journey. And if you want to hear more from us, don't forget that we have a Patreon page where we do three podcasts a month, a movie review, a coffee break episode, and a bonus. If you like to hear from us and you want to help us out, that's the best way to do it. This month, we are releasing Harry Potter. Year five, The Order of the Phoenix. It's been one year since this coverage. We normally cover movies that are at the theater right now on a poll. But every once in a while, we do a fun throwback and we've been interspersing Harry Potter movies. And we just had a ton of fun recording that. So head on over to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on Patreon, and join us there. Now we're going to go over to our closer look, as promised, to talk about Professor Hamish Backs from the books. As we mentioned, sometimes they are still pulling material, primarily from the third book, The Magician's Land. So if you don't want to be spoiled on any of that, just a quick warning, there's not a ton plot-wise. This just fills out his character more. So in the novels, the professor was the chair of the botany department, only a few years older than Quentin. Quentin was struggling, which we're going to see, there's a little excerpt from the books, to get along with the other professors at the school. As I mentioned, I like that they're bringing some of that stuff in and giving it to Penny's character here. And it was an interesting tie that we do see. He's on the outside. He doesn't come to the faculty meeting. No one's really accepting him in. So in the books, Hamish is likewise not really friendly with the rest of the faculty. And him and Quentin sort of become close. There's a really nice couple of paragraphs when we're introduced to his character that set the stage a bit. So this is from The Magician's Land. Talking about Quentin, it says, Even though he was almost 30, he was a lot younger than most of the Breakbill's faculty, and he was having a hard time connecting with them. Whatever the reason, he drew a lot of undesirable solo duties, like refereeing cold, wet welters matches and patching the dull but finicky network of spells that was supposed to bust students breaking curfew. The next day, Quentin walked over to Botany Bay. His expectations weren't high. He'd never spoken to the department chair, Hamish Bax, and he didn't know what to make of him. On the plus side, he was young-ish, by Breakbill's standards, mid-30s maybe. On the minus side, he was unbelievably affected. From Cleveland, but dressed in Scottish tweeds and smoked a fat Turk's head pipe. He was the first person Quentin had ever seen in real life wearing plus fours. The whole business made him hard to read, though maybe that was the point. But at least Quentin had an excuse to visit the greenhouse, which was a lovely bit of Victorian iron and glass tracery that looked too delicate to withstand an upstate winter. Inside was a green bubble of warm, humid air, full of tables of potted plants of all imaginable shapes and sizes. The cement floor was wet. Short and solidly built, Professor Bax greeted him with the same lack of interest as the rest of the faculty. He didn't seem particularly pleased to be interrupted, doing whatever he was doing with his arms up to his elbows in a giant ceramic pot full of black earth. But he brightened up when Quentin zipped open a velvet-lined portfolio, and the page immediately shook itself and wriggled free, like a silvery fish escaping a net. They're describing a drawing that Quentin has of a plant that they're not able to figure out what it is or where it came from. Mm. The professor says it's a long way from home, and its origins are exceptionally exotic. So I think that's the parallel to the plant that we see in this episode from another planet. He keeps asking Quentin about it. You know, he says, are you sure you can't tell me where it's from? And Quentin says, I shouldn't. So then they sit down to have a drink together. Is the plant from Fillory? I think it might have been, but I can't remember if we got a definitive answer about it. But I love that them talking about that and then sitting down to a drink leads to this relationship. 
you know, Bax pulls a fifth of rye from the flower pots where he'd been hiding it and drinking out of it. And he says, just like that, Quentin had shattered whatever invisible barrier stood between him and the rest of the faculty, at least one member. It emerged over the course of the afternoon that Hamish wasn't much more popular with the other professors than Quentin was. Whatever nameless sin Quentin had committed, Hamish had committed it too. They were the same kind of radioactive. Quentin started coming by the greenhouse regularly after practical applications, and he and Hamish would have a couple of whiskeys before dinner. These teachers, man, they should be thankful to him because when he was a student, they weren't the ones saving the world. He and his friends were as students. Where were they? But life goes on, and he's kind of just this mid-30s professor who's not doing anything spectacular at break bills now. As we've said, the books tend to go into some of that depressing real-life stuff, especially for Quentin. But I think it's a smart idea how they're pulling that into Penny's character. And this was a fun addition that I wasn't expecting Hamish backs from the book, so that's nice. Well, that wraps up Episode 7 and just leaves us with our spoiler section. So if you are afraid of that, we'll see you next time when we review Episode 8. For everyone still here, we know Episode 8 is titled Garden Variety Homicide. And in the preview, we see Margot saying they need to kill the Dark King. It's time. They're going to put their plan into motion. They have everything they need to know. But it seems like Elliot's going to try to reason with him first to talk to the king. And at the end of the clip, we see the Dark King pulling a knife on Elliot saying, I have to be king. Oh, boy. So there's a reason we do not yet know. Mm -hmm. There's a percentage of me that still wants him to be good. What is the homicide that's going to be committed? Is garden variety referring to something botanical from the greenhouse, from the plants that we saw on Earth this time? Hmm. Is it somehow related to Fillory, the way that the takers are created, the magic that's being used? I think there's a lot of clever ways they could work that title in. This is one of a few episodes this season that I don't know the writer or director ahead of time. And of course, these descriptors aren't much help. They're talking a lot about Josh returning from his nephew's bar mitzvah. (laughs) I don't know how that's going to be relevant. But as you said, we're midway through, so we'll see what happens in the latter half of this season. Also, don't forget, as we are winding down February, mid-March will bring the return of Westworld. We're probably going to say it from now until then. It's another one of our favorite shows that we will be covering on CKC. So if you follow that show, the trailer's out. Be sure to give it a look. It looks great. Thank you so much, Clatchers, for being a part of this crew. Remember to tell your friends and your family members about us. Spread the word. Spread the love. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. 